Can you imagine a world immune to all forms of cancer? Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come for our fourth annual live stream for the cure. And this year, we need your help more than ever. Please join us May 27th through May 31st for 48 hours of live content from guests and podcasts around the world. We'll be aiming for our most ambitious goal to date as we try to raise $10,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com for more information on this year's event and how you can be a part of it. Together, we can make a difference. Welcome to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Counting down movies, music, TV, and pop culture. One top five at a time. And now, here are the Two Peas. What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. I'm so happy that you have joined us this week, as I am every week. I'm also very excited for a returning guest to the program that's on with me this week, the other P, if you will. Say what's up to Nick. You know him from Epic Film Guys and from My Dreams. Nick, what's up, brother? Uncut Gem sucks. You wanted to get that out of the way. I wanted to get that right out of the way, right up top, because this is this was a point of contention for me and Gerald for oh my god, for, was for it ever all of awards season? But uh, it was is it, it is ever. great to be back here on on two P's. So yeah, thank you for having me. You know, it's funny, man. I was talking to a mutual fan over there, and, and uh, Patrick, and he was saying that you know he wants to find a crossover with me and you, and I'm like, it's happened, bro. And he listened to the family films, which was the last time you were on, which was probably like a year ago. It's been too long, man. It's been uh, a long time. And then before that, you came on, and you know when we did the old show, we talked politics and whatnot. That's right. Gun control and some other depressing things. And, Got um, some Trump in there. And infamously, you came on and discussed Tarantino characters with me, and someone lost the audio. I listen. I, I think it was me. listen. <laughs> when you wait like four months, like Google Drive only has such like so much storage, Gerald. Yeah, so I gotta I free up space in there. No man, it's my fault. We got to do that episode again. But that's he's not like, I want to go have a baby. Oh jeez, man. My fault, my fault. We're not doing Tarantino tonight, though. No. What are we counting down tonight, Nick? What's the countdown tonight? The top five black and white films. Yeah, black and white movies, man. So this has been on my agenda for like a year. I've got a little stash in my notebook of some 
episodes that I throw out to people to see if they're into it. And I gave you a few to choose from and you kind of jumped on this one. He said it might be the easiest one for you to come up with on a short on a short notice, which by the way, thank you. We just decided to do this about 24 hours ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, I mean, this is by far, especially of the categories you gave me. Yeah. By far the category in which I was the most versed. Right. But even right. still, like there's going to be a lot of stuff that is not going to be on my list, probably because I haven't seen it. And same thing I would imagine is probably the case for you. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I mean, there, we got a ton. I don't know if you saw over on Twitter, but we got a ton of feedback yep. that we'll talk about at the end of the episode from fans and listeners that, you know, and I, I love Twitter for the use of the gifts, you know, but it's also frustrating when we do the suggestion box because people will put up gifts and I don't know the movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to shout them out, but I'm not sure what it is. And this category was a lot of that because I mean, let me just ask you, I mean, do, how far back do you really go without giving any titles away? Are you like an old school black and white movie guy in the kind of the old era of Hollywood? And I black- have one silent film on my list. Okay. And All I right. mean, technically, I've got an I've got another one down in the honorable category down in the bottom half mm-hmm. as I round out the top 10, as you as you love to say. And yeah, absolutely. I only have one, I would say, quote unquote, modern film. Oh, okay. So, Interesting. Mine's um probably mine's definitely going to be more modern than hearing you say that. But I mean, are you a dude that's like throwing on AMC and watching the old school black and white movies occasionally? Or if, if I had or AMC, never? I would. But I don't yeah. have AMC. I mean, I don't I don't get cable or anything. But if I did, I would. I absolutely like. I used to do that at the gym, uh-huh. which is the weirdest thing. Like I'd, I would I would always throw on whatever old movie was on or whatever. I love old movies. I mean, I know yeah, like me too. Friends of ours like Dan does not he can't deal with anything that's like pre-1950s because it had that there was a definite distinction to the acting style back then it was a lot more stagey and a lot more showy sure because of the way they had to kind of try to project for microphones to pick them up at least that's what i assume it is i don't know but you know just because most of them were just uh, you know it's a different time different times you got to accept that as a convention of the time i agree i agree but but it's cool to look at some of these old school films and kind of you know, pick them apart a little bit to see some where some of the modern stuff came from, because obviously it's all influence and it all started at point A and went through, you know, the history of Hollywood, if you will. So it's kind of cool. But, you know, I, I was just real quick before we get into our top fives, I was surprised when I was doing my research because I found myself putting a lot of what I would consider modern movies from the last like 20 or 30 years on my list. And there's been a lot of really cool black and white cinema as recent as this year um, that's been released. How do you feel when like modern filmmakers like throw up a black and white movie kind of really kind of uncharacteristically, you know, like if it's let's just say David Fincher, for example, if he came out with a black and white movie tomorrow, do I mean, do you like that or do you feel well, I mean, like he's going to be coming out with one g- later this year? Right. That's what I mean. So, <laughs> do, you, do you like that or do you feel like it's a little bit of a gimmick? I'm actually I, I really, really love it because number one, it kind of lets you connect into that old Hollywood aesthetic, especially when you think of something, you know, like when Robert Eggers did The Lighthouse, you know, not only was it shot in black and white, but they also used 1940s camera equipment and lighting mm-hmm. equipment, things of that nature, mm-hmm. yep. you know, to really, really capture that kind of feel and that aesthetic. And I think that adds something to the film. And whenever you do black and white, I think especially these days, it's it's far more of an artistic choice because maybe you want the story to stand out more or maybe you just want to do really, really interesting things with light and shadow. I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan. Like when I studied film in school, like one of the biggest things that I really fell in love with was expressionism in cinema, like German cinema from like the 1920s and whatnot, you know, just because it was steeped in that, absolutely steeped in that. And 
yeah, I mean, I I love it. I'm I'm a huge huge fan of it. I mean, like I said, usually it's it's for more artistic reasons, and I think I'll probably talk about that at least once. Okay. Yeah, at least once on my list. But cool, man. Well, I agree with you, and I, you know, I like the throwbacks, which you know they didn't have a choice because <laughs> you know, Technicolor yeah, right. wasn't around yet. Yeah, and then I do, I do like when they do it for a modern time too, because it's like I, I don't know, it's almost like an homage to yeah. you know an earlier time, and but it's with a modern plot you know and i really do like that as well so i agree with you hey guess what we agree to start the show that was kind of uh, uncut gems still sucks though uh, uh, are there any black and white adam sandler movies i should have put that on my list just to spite you if there man. is i don't think there is but. man <laughs> five four three two one So uh, we're going to do our top five black and white movies today, guys, with Nick from Epic Film Guys. And it is no limitations in terms of genre or in terms of years, eras. It's all wide open. I didn't do any animated, Nick. All of mine are live action. Same. you have. Okay, cool. I was going to say, if you have a black and white animated, that's completely fine, but I don't have any. So, Nick, why don't you get a startest man with your number five black and white film? What do you got? All right. Well, I'm going to get my modern pick out of the way early. Okay. And all the rest of my list is going to be some some nice old stuff. And it's literally a modern masterpiece. One of the best films easily that came out of the 90s. Of course, it is Spielberg's Schindler's List. Okay. And I mean, the film is just hauntingly, hauntingly beautiful. Neeson's performance is amazing. Ray Fiennes is amazing in this movie. Ben Kingsley. I mean, just, you know, it's 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 Schindler's List. I don't need to tell you what Schindler's List is necessarily about, do I? Right. Anybody listening no. out there? I hope. Like, no, I mean, it's I, I mean, it's just probably easily. I would, you know what? And I would honestly say I think the pianist is probably the better of the two Holocaust movies I've seen. Okay. Yeah, Schindler's know? List for me, uh, it, Paul and I did a Spielberg list about six months ago, and Schindler's List came up on there. I think it's an amazing feat. The problem, and it was a great film, obviously, and one of the best, but my problem with Schindler's List is I don't really remember it because I saw it the one time, and then I never wanted to see it again. <laughs> it was very like, I mean, right? It's a heavy movie, man, with the subject matter yeah. is really... Uh, it just weighs on you as you're watching it. It weighs on you really for days after watching it. And I have not revisited that film. And do you have the year on it? I haven't revisited that since it came uh, out. It's 1993, probably- I'm pretty sure, was the year that it was like up for awards contention and everything. It went into wide release early in 94, kind of, you know, like 1917 did this past year and so all that. So we're going 20, 25, 26 years. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I went to actually they did a, a showing of this and I actually got to go see it in the theater oh, uh, last year. They did it for the 25th anniversary, or I think it was, yeah, it was like sometime, I don't remember exactly when it was. It was like January 2019, I think. That's great. And, I mean, I, I should revisit yeah. it, but, I, you know, like I told Paul on that episode, I just haven't seen it in so, so long that it's hard for me to include it on a lot of these lists that it might be eligible for. I mean, it's it's haunting. It is one of those films that even if you only have seen it one time, it stays with you. There's oh, so absolutely. many it, it, just soul crushing moments. The score is just unbelievably beautiful. And, you know, I mean, like I said, it's, it's literally Spielberg at his absolute best. He made this and Jurassic Park in the same fucking year. I know. It's you crazy, know, like, man. I mean, it, it does not get 
get better than this movie. And I wanted to have something that was modern black and white on my list. And I, I mean, there's a couple other things that I could mention that I'll talk about probably a little bit later mm-hmm. that might have fit in here that I might have been able to squeeze in. But no, I had to put this one on here because I do adore this movie. And I mean, just the craft that Spielberg put into this film. I mean, he refused to accept a, a salary for this film. You know, yeah. just because he made this because he wanted this film to be, you yeah, know, about that story. its Absolutely. story. And I think that's why he opted for the black and white as well. Like he he wanted it to be, you know, more about the story and everything right. than, you know, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> right. No, no. I yeah, I mean, It's not wasn't so much like a Hollywood movie as it was like just an important um, yeah. retelling, yes. retelling. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, I agree with you. I just wish I had revisited it because it came up when we did our Spielberg episode too. And I don't want to be, you know, unauthentic because I just haven't seen it so long. It it has stuck with me for, you know, 25 years, but I, I need to revisit it is my point, <laughs> but good way to get us started there. And I did see that come up on a lot of lists when I was doing the, the old Google uh, last night, Nick. So Schindler's list is your number five. My number five is a throwback. It is from 1954, and it is my favorite of what would be considered the old Universal monster movies. It's Creature from the Black Lagoon. Hey, hey. Uh, have you Look seen at you squeezing chance? your horror in here somehow. Yeah, I've actually got, I've actually, I had too many. I had to back off a little bit, <laughs> rewrite my list. <laughs> but yes, that's uh, my favorite of the Universal monster movies from the 50s and the old Hammer horror films uh, that kind of uh, came after that were, were, was this line of stuff that Universal was putting out with the Wolfman and, and different things. But the creature from the Black Lagoon for me, have you ever seen this, by the way? I haven't seen any of these movies. Okay. Well, this one is, um, it's a very like, you know, especially for the old school monster movies, it's a very emotional story. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you saw Del Toro's Shape of Water a couple of years ago. Yes, I did. Okay. So Shape of Water is, uh, borrows a lot from the creature of the Black Lagoon's kind of arc. Uh, the only difference there is that they do fall in love in Shape of Water. The creature from the Black Lagoon is never accepted, you know, so it's very similar character that's in Del Toro's picture. He's just never accepted. He's always the outcast. He's always the quote unquote monster in the film. There are some savage things that he does that as an audience member, you don't necessarily pull for him, mm-hmm. but you are also sympathetic to him because it's the classic story of, you know, they're really the monsters. He's not the monster. He's just different. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's that. this is in the 50s. That's an arc that's been beaten to death since then. Oh, my God. has it? <laughs> but back then, uh, it was a very kind of subtext that was kind of floating below the surface there. No pun intended. But <laughs> it, it, it's a beautiful movie, man. I mean, I would say if you're going to ever get into the old monster movies, this would be where to start. It's my favorite. You know, Wolfman was great. Dracula was great. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff that came out of that 50s era that really was kind of the birth of kind of that transition for horror, especially from a creature feature aspect. But Creature from the Black Lagoon is my favorite. So I had to put it on here. Of course, it's in black and white. That's my number five. And, you better uh, be in black and white. You better not be, you know, yeah, messing man. up the brief already here. I'm not going to cheat. By the way, a young Julie Adams play, uh, played Kay in that movie. And, hey. Uh, she was uh, good looking in 1954, brother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Creepy Gerald had to get in here uh, somehow, huh? Had to do it somehow. I don't know. I throw man. that in there. for. All right. So that's my number five. Nick, what's your number four, buddy? All right. My number four is uh, a film that I absolutely adore. 
Now, we all know that this film has been colorized as okay. well, which is an insane bastardization that they should never, ever do to a black and white film. But, of course, originally it was black and white. This also showed up, Gerald, on my top family films of all time. It is Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, this is the one I this is the one I called for you. I, I kind of thought that I actually I thought it would be higher, to be honest. But uh, just to remind everyone, I mean, this is. One of your favorites of all time, right? One of my favorites of all time. And this, I mean, must watch every Christmas. It is literally a Christmas ritual for me. I put it in every single year and watch it. And I mean, Jimmy Stewart in this movie is unbelievably good. I mean, I, I still I still do not like the whole like talking stars thing narrate like the, that whole opening thing right. like, i don't think the film needs it but you know other than yeah. that i mean it's it's such a moving film it's such an absolutely beautiful film what he finds out what life would be like if he had never been born and in so doing he gets to figure out you know what makes him so special and what makes his right. life so what makes his life so wonderful as it were and what's kind of universal about that his story in that movie is that we all think that I yeah. mean, wh- whether it's passing on your way to work and you're just kind of thinking about it for a split second or whether, you know, some people, you know, fixate on it. You know, I think about that occasionally, like, what would it be like if, you know, if I died tomorrow or if I was never born or if I yep. had met this person instead of meeting my wife or, you know, what I mean, like we all have those kind of weird hypothetical thoughts race through our minds so that makes it very easy for you to connect to the story and it's a feel-good story man i agree with you oh, I, just, yeah. actually, I just actually watched it a couple months ago because it was christmas time ruins uh, me every single year yeah, i spend every christmas fucking sobbing <laughs> it's good man it's good and i knew I, I actually would have been concerned had that not been on your list i was pretty you sure knew, which, yeah if there are there are a few <laughs> guarantees in life when it, when it comes to me picking a list of films for any thing period but uh you know yeah if you talk about like black and white movies christmas movies family movies anything like that if i can fit this film into a list i'll fit it in there well uh it's a wonderful life is your number four my number four is basically the fucking opposite of that so (laughs) (laughs) inadvertently and you already kind of mentioned it in passing but it's the lighthouse from last year really come to this rock play in the tough you make me laugh with your false grum. Ye pretended to some mystery in your quietudes, but there ain't no mystery. You're an open book. A picture, says I. A painted actress screaming in the footlights. A bitch what wants to be coveted for nothing but being born, crying about the silver spoon what should have been yours. Now look at you, crying. Boo, boo. What you gonna do? Will you kill me? Will you? Will you kill me like you done that gold? I did! Liar! You murdering dog! Twas ye what changed the wind on us. Twas ye what damned us, dog, twas ye! Will you do what you wished you'd done to old Winslow? Will you best me then? For Winslow were right. Thomas, you're a dog! A filthy dog! A dog! Absolutely, man. Wow. Um, I yeah, it is definitely love. the anti- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the, the anti-Jimmy anti- Stewart. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart is not in the lighthouse. 
but Willem Dafoe is, man. And and honestly, Robert Pattinson at the top of his game as well. And this is these two dudes just literally putting on a clinic, man. I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anybody up and coming that's a, an inspiring actor, watch this movie. Watch Willem Dafoe. Uh, I mean, it's just tremendous. I mean, and, and not just the acting, but just the craft of filmmaking. You know, I've been in, I have a love affair with this movie the last few months since I saw it. And I almost feel bad for doing this list because I can't stop fucking talking about this movie. <laughs> I've been putting it on every list I've been doing. On this, this is show. why you wanted to do this topic, isn't it? Because you're like, I got to put the lighthouse. I promise. I promise this topic was on my to do list before I even saw the lighthouse. Tomorrow he's going to be recording an episode. Top five movies set in lighthouses. <laughs> top five movies that <laughs> near the ocean. Um, <laughs> But yeah, man. I mean, I know you're a fan of this movie too. But I, you know, it, it's obviously the most recent on my on my list. And, oh yeah, uh, just so good, man. I mean, the way Robert Eggers and his brother, who co-wrote the script with him, how they just engulfed themselves in the accuracy of that time period with the dialect and the set design, the production design in this movie, uh, the four to three ratio that they shot in, uh, obviously in black and white. And you mentioned earlier how they used a lot of older equipment to shoot the movie on yep. purpose to get that authentic feel. I mean, and it really has it too. I really think it feat. does. Yeah, it's just an amazing feat, man. What did you want to say about the lighthouse? Because I know you're a fan of this one too. Loved it. Absolutely loved the movie. And I mean, we we've talked about it prior to this as well. But criminal that Defoe was overlooked oh. in the awards conversation. I don't know how. So crazy. He disappears so so well into that character, and Pattinson does too. They both give just. You said it perfectly. They're cl- clinics. Absolutely yeah. perfect. Uh, you know, it it just it's it's amazing. Put mermaid titties, man. If mermaid titties are your thing, you also get mermaid titties. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of farting. If you enjoy yeah. farting in the 1880s or whatever. Boy, sauce. Was. I know was a big fan of the farting. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you know, A24 doesn't campaign for their actors, man. I mean, Tony Collette the year before this. Willem Dafoe this year. That's because the A24 wants to spend that money producing films like The Lighthouse and like Hereditary. And, you know, instead of, you know, throwing millions of dollars and for your consideration campaigns. Right. And, you know, I agree with you because it's always really bugged me. I mean, you know, I'm an award season guy. I'm kind of a fanatic about it when it for a few months every year. But at the same time, it does bug the shit out of me because it's like, why can't we just focus on the performance that we're watching? And it always drives me crazy because I feel like that's objectively just an amazing performance. I mean, even if you don't like the movie, I'm talking about Defoe. It's like I said, he disappears. He he completely vanishes into the role. It's just amazing, man. And he's done that actually several times in his career. Oh, yeah. Easily. I I think he's Oscarless, right? I don't think he's ever won an Oscar. I honestly could not tell you. I don't think he has. I don't believe he has. I think he's been nominated a few times, but I don't think he's won. Yes, definitely been nominated. But yeah. But anyway, uh, The Lighthouse from 2000. 19 is my number four. So that is obviously the most recent movie we'll be discussing this evening. But I had to slip it in there, Nick. You know, I'm a big fan. of. Oh, that, so. yeah. All right, man. And a little bit a little bit more horror too, kind of. I mean, it's a horror thriller. Horror thriller. Yeah. Yeah. So the what's your number three? Buddy? Elements has horrific, horrific elements. elements. Yep, absolutely. What's your number three, buddy? Uh, my number three. So, I mean, this is I mean, just if you ever want to sit down and and watch a film this would easily also appear on a list of of films that are all set in one place like you are basically the same setting the entire film Uh, and it's just an absolute acting master class by henry fonda among others it is Sidney lumet's 12 angry men Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this boy's been hit so many times in his life that violence is practically a it's a normal state of affairs with him I just, I can't see two slaps in the face provoking him into committing murder. It may have been two too many. Everyone has a breaking point. 
Anything else? No. Okay. Uh, how about you? I don't know. It's all been said. You can talk here forever. It's still the same thing. This kid is five for all. Well, look at his record. When he was 10, he was in children's court. He threw a rock at a teacher. When he was 15, he was in reform school. He stole a car. He's been arrested for mugging. He's picked up twice for knife fighting. Oh, yeah, they say he's real handy with a knife. <laughs> oh, this is a very fine boy. Ever since he was five years old, his father beat him up regularly. He used his fists. Well, so would I. A kid like that? <laughs> it's these kids the way they are nowadays. When I was a kid, I used to call my father Sir. That's right, Sir. You ever hear a kid call his father that anymore? Fathers don't seem to think it's important anymore. Yeah, I mean, I saw, I saw this come up in the in the fan feedback too. This is such an insanely powerful movie, and essentially, it's the most simple premise. You know, they're a jury that's going into a room to deliberate after a trial, and there's one holdout, and that's Henry Fonda's character, and he slowly starts to turn all of the other jurors you know, and to over to his opinion, because everybody else is guilty, 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 guilty. And he's like, no, wait. And it's just like I said, it's all set in that jury room. Like for the most part, I think like maybe one or two percent of the film takes place outside of it. It's like less than a hundred minutes long. And it's all just about powerhouse performances and just about just, you know, calming the bloodlust and just wait. Let's think about this. Mm-hmm. Like just the power of just waiting and thinking and talking things out and you know what more can come to light the more you look at things and and the way that we look at things and how we view things as a society like i mean it's such a powerful powerful film i i adore this movie and and this is one of those films like more so probably than any other film on my list because everybody's seen it's a wonderful life most people are at least familiar with schindler's list but 12 angry men is probably the one that i would tell people above any other film to see it as soon as you can like it it is just that good i don't care if it's in black and white it's literally it's incredible it's just incredible i need to revisit that is jack lemon in that movie i know or is this pre jack lemon might be pre jack lemon i'm Uh, not 100 percent sure i haven't seen that movie in forever i saw it come up in the fan feedback this one it plays a little bit like a stage play almost right yeah kind of like if you're i mean it's kind of like you're i mean it would easily work as one because like i said it's all set in one location i mean they're all just in that jury room deliberating the entire time pretty much like it, it pretty much never leaves that room Right. I need to revisit that one, man. That's a good pick. And I know that's one of the most revered films really of all time. Definitely. Of the oh, yeah. White it's genre. So masterful. Absolutely masterful film. Nice, man. Twelve Angry Men. I don't know if you have the year on it. You probably don't. Right. Fifty seven. Nineteen fifty seven. There you go. That's your number three. My number three is much more current, but it follows a man that was around in the 50s making movies. He's actually considered the worst filmmaker of all time. It's Mr. Ed Wood. Mm. It's a movie called Ed Wood, directed by Tim Burton. That came out in 1994. Uh, I don't think you ever saw this, right? I have not ever seen this one. No, this is another one of those ones that's just a big big blind spot in the old watch list. You know, we're talking about Willem Dafoe, man. Uh, Martin Landau actually did win the Oscar for his portrayal of Bela Lugosi in this Mm. movie. And it is... Talk about disappearing into a role, man. I mean, he... 
he was Bela Lugosi. Now, I know you said you didn't really watch a lot of those old monster movies, but if you did and you were familiar with I mean, Bela, Bela Lugosi is iconic, though, like he yeah, even transcends yeah. felt like I mean, just seeing like I just I, I could just think of him like picture him as Dracula in my head because that's right. kind of the enduring image we get of Dracula when we think about classically what Dracula looks like. Right. And, you know, we you and I often cut up on each other online and stuff. And I was mentioning to you when you went over on the movie journey last month that, you know, to me, Johnny Depp and Tim Burton have one of the best Hollywood collaborations. You know, I, I firmly believe that. Now, they've fallen off, both of them, in their respective careers, but especially in the 90s, bro. And I think the they have 2000s. as many misses as they have hits. I think that's yeah, the only reason that. why it's middling that's for fair. me. That's fair. You could say that. But this is one that falls like we're talking borderline masterpiece with this mm-hmm. movie, bro. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's in there. Uh, I already obviously mentioned Johnny Depp is the lead role. Bill Murray's in there. Uh, Vincent DeFornio pl- uh, def- plays uh, Orson Welles in the movie, which um, Ed Wood kind of idolized Orson Welles and then ironically ends up being dubbed as the worst filmmaker of all time himself. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he's become a, you know, just a cultural icon because of that. And, you know, what's, what's really cool about Ed Wood as a character in this movie really, I felt like really captured was the imagination of aspiring filmmakers because what Ed Wood had to do is he he did suck at it and he didn't have any money. So he it was literally one of those things where he would get a styrofoam ball and make it look like Saturn and he would have it hanging on a string and he would film it. Yep. <laughs> you know I mean I'm you know I mean it sounds like crazy but like in other words what do you have to work with you can only use what you have access to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We're not, we're not all going to be trust fund babies making, you know, million dollar pictures. So the fact that he just used his imagination and that he had all these people around him that believed in him. And he had a team of kind of like friends that I'm going to talk about another filmmaker here in a minute that, you know, they just kind of networked who they knew in the business and just made projects and just Mm -hmm. did what they just did what they love doing. And to me, that's so inspiring, man. And uh, Ed Wood, I feel like is a character that is could be seen as very inspiring for for aspiring filmmakers. And that's ironic because he's thought of as the worst. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, it does. It, it is crazy. It's kind of one of the so. same reasons that I, you know, I I really admire Tommy Wiseau as well. It's, you know, right. Kind of, kind there of you similar go. because yep. he's another one. I mean, he, I mean, literally, he is not a good director. But like when you watch The Room, I wish The Room was black and white because I totally would have put it in here. <laughs> you but, would have. Uh, you know, it, 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 you could feel his passion for it when you watch that film. Right. You could feel that this was something that he was passionate about. And maybe he's not a good director. And maybe, you know, he can't direct actors to good performances or whatever the case may be. Fill in all of the blanks, like all of the things about that movie that people say about it are true. But I love it because you feel the passion that he had for making that film when you watch it. That's a very good analogy. And, uh, you know, something similar could be said for like Plan 9 from Outer Space, which a lot of people say is the worst movie ever made. But I mean, it's still even though and that's what's so fascinating to me. And and the room is actually another great example. But if you're saying if somebody says to you and I'm talking about like hundreds and thousands of people say this is the worst movie ever made, but yet people still study it and still admire it and get something from it. That's crazy that those two things can exist in the same realm. It just kind of baffles me. And the room is actually like that a lot, too. Uh, By the way, I'll just say this and then we can move on. I finally watched The Disaster Artist, Nick. Finally? I I finally saw it. It's on Prime and I watched it last week at at home. And? I loved it. I loved it. That's right. You you fucking better have. (laughs) I'm glad I saw The Room before I saw it, though. 
because I feel like it it helped my enjoyment level of it. You know, I mean, the, the, I th- I still think my favorite thing about that film is, I mean, it's it's so easy to take a figure. I mean, kind of in the same vein as Ed Wood, because you know of his reputation. It's so easy to take a figure like Tommy Wiseau and make fun of him. Right. You know, and you laugh at Franco's performance in the film, but it's it's because Franco definitely plays Wizzo with like an earnestness and with a passion and mm-hmm. with this consideration, like he's not making fun of him. It's just, you know, it, it, it comes off as funny, but it's not him poking fun at him. It's right. just, you know, funny. What, you know, in a se- yeah. in that sense, if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense. No, what yeah, I'm saying, it's like but. a realistic kind of funny. Yeah, yeah it, it's, I, uh, it's not making fun of the room and it's not. It's not uh, it's coming at it from like the same perspective that I view the room like, yeah, it acknowledges that it's very, very poorly made. It's not well made at all, but it's still made with passion and it's still about his passion ultimately in the end. Yeah, no, yeah, I get it. And I I thought it was really cool, but that's actually I'm actually really glad because I never thought about Tommy Wiseau when I was thinking of Ed Wood. But that's a very, very good analogy. Yeah. Uh, they're very similar kind of story arcs there. So Ed Wood from Tim Burton is my number three. And we are up to our runner ups. What's your number two, Nick? All right. Well, this one, uh, speaking of annual staples for me, this is an annual October staple for me. I have to watch this film every single horror season because it is one of the granddaddies of them all. Totally not Bram Stoker's Dracula whatsoever. Uh, it is 1922's nosferatu nice i'm very very proud of you brother this film is i mean i mean i mean literally it was made in 1922 yeah but i mean the and this is what i talk about because like this is the kind of thing i studied when i was studying film in school is is that german expressionism the use of shadow the use of light and things like that and i mean yeah like it's definitely got that 1922 sensibility to it when you watch it it's a silent film of course but man what a film like just the just the shot and i'm looking at a picture of it now but just the shot of his shadow ascending the stairs at the end of the movie yeah to, to go and to go iconic. and uh and bite her it's so iconic so man. iconic i mean this is in here literally because this is one of the granddaddies of all time when you think about mm-hmm. horror films like so oh, many sure. movies oh so much two films like nosferatu and it again it is totally 100 percent not bram stoker's dracula the main character's name is orlock not mm-hmm. dracula so mm-hmm. it's clearly a completely different thing yep no i i have some honorable mentions i absolutely wink, love wink. <laughs> absolutely yeah, absolutely love this pick man and what i you know what i'll say about nosferatu because it'll come up in my honorables i won't talk a ton about it but real quick to piggyback on what you're saying is when I first saw this, which is when I was in college, we watched it for a film class I yep. was in back then. I've seen it many times since, but the first time I saw it, I was probably, I don't know, maybe 20 years old. And what was fascinating, what my I remember my professor kind of drilling into us at the time was that what he really wanted us to do was to place ourselves in 1922 cinema. Yep. And what these people uh, that were seeing silent movies, uh, the talkie era, were seeing, I mean, think of how frightening uh, seeing Max Shrek as 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 Orlock in that, Ooh, man. I mean, right in the twenties. Now we watch it now, you know, and of course it's not going to have the same effect from like a fright standpoint. But if you put yourself, I mean, what were they seeing in the twenties? <laughs> you know, they weren't seeing anything to the level of what Orlock looked like in that movie, and it was a it's a very ominous, frightening image, yeah. you know. And now 
I have issues with Nosferatu, but from a standpoint of like just what it's done for not only cinema but for horror, it's just tremendous, man. And I'm actually, I got to be honest with you, I have a new. I'm love you more today than I did yesterday. That's I right. You, I can't believe. That's, you I mean, that's two. that's the way so it always is with me, though. But yeah, no, I I I do. I absolutely adore this movie. I covered it for. Uh, hashtag all the horror it's like a whole bunch of podcasters that get together and do horror stuff uh uh-huh. back in 2018 i covered this with a couple of other shows as well i've talked about it extensively on epic film guys as well i adore this movie like i said it's it, it, it it's yeah is it like the greatest thing ever like you're gonna watch it and you you really have to take that i'm watching a movie that was made exactly. literally almost 100 years ago now i know into this think about, like think about think about yeah that. yeah that's that's, crazy, that's insane but i mean like i said it's so iconic and i just i i really really enjoy it i really really love sitting down and watching this film every year speaking of uh willem dafoe did you see the um biopic they did about where he played max shrek uh shadow of the vampire i totally like did not i still it, it's still one yeah. of those films that i really really need to check out it wasn't received well critically but i actually really enjoyed it and i think it's because of my connection with nosferatu but i i remember that from a few years ago when i saw that and I mean, it's Willem Dafoe, like we talked about earlier. So it's hard for him to not, you know, kill it when he takes on a performance. Yeah, I would say check it out, especially since you like Nosferatu so much. But uh, all right, man. So that's your number two. And I didn't expect to see any horror on your list. I'm very excited now. I don't know if I can continue, man. I mean, if you want to sneak in a 1922 (sighs) film, I mean, if we want to count that, fine. Yikes. All right. I like it, man. That's your runner up. All right. So my runner up is probably... I don't know if I want to make this uh, proclamation on air right here, but it's definitely in probably like my top three comedies of all time. I was going to say my favorite, but I don't know if I'll do that. But yeah, man, it's the the best movie, still the best movie that Kevin Smith ever made. And it was his first movie. 1994's Clerks is my number two. Hey, let me borrow your car. I don't want to talk to you. Fine, just let me borrow your car. Why should I loan you my car? I want to rent a movie. You want to rent a movie? I want to rent a movie. What's that for? You work in a video store. I work in a shitty video store. I want to go to a good video store so I can get a good movie. And a pack of cigarettes. Cute cat. What's his name? Annoying customer. Fucking dickhead. Can you imagine being halfway decent to the customer sometimes? Let me boil your car. May I be blunt with you? If you must. We are employees of the Quick Stop Convenience and RST Video, respectively. As such, we have certain obligations, though they may seem cruel and unusual, does mean manning the store until closing. I see, so playing hockey and attending wakes, these practices are standard operating procedures. There's a difference. Those are obligations. Obligations that couldn't have been met at any other date. Now, renting videos, that's just gratuitous, not to mention illogical, being that you work at a video store. Are you open? Yes. You know what? I don't think I care for your rationale. Well, it's going to have to do being that it's my car up for a request. Can I help you? A pack of cigarettes. So what's your point? My point is, you're a clerk paid to do a job. You can't just do anything you want while you're working. Space alien revealed as head of Time Warner. Reports stock increase. They print any kind of shit in this paper. They certainly do. Three dollars. So your argument is that title dictates behavior. What? The reason you won't let me use your car is because I have a title and a job description. I'm supposed to follow it, right? Exactly. Yeah, I saw one one time that said, the next week the world is ending. And in the next week's paper they said, we were miraculously saved at the zero hour by a koala fish mutant bird. 
<laughs> Crazy shit. So I'm no more responsible for my decisions here than, say, a dead squad soldier in Bosnia? Oh, no, that's stretching it. You're not being asked to slay children or anything. Yeah, not yet. So that's my runner-up. Are you a fan of Clerks? Love Clerks so so much. If I had to soundboard up right now, Gerald, I'd push a... I, my girlfriend <laughs> sucked 37 dicks in a row? <laughs> It's so quotable, man. I mean, you just mentioned that one. It's such a quotable film. But what was really cool about Clerks for me, and I've mentioned this on a couple other lists that we've done in the past where it's been eligible, but obviously it's a black and white movie. So I'm like, oh, well, this is a, honestly, this is the first movie I thought of when I uh, pitched the topic to you last night. But, you know, what was cool about Clerks for me, I graduated high school in 94, which is the year that this movie came out. I mean, just imagine that, man, an 18 year old kid seeing Clerks. Uh, I mean, it's a truly independent film. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, in, indie gets thrown around now all the time. We were just talking about A24 and like, you know, of course, there are still independent pictures being made. But I mean, this <laughs> is like Kevin Smith walking around with a camcorder in the 90s filming his friends at a I mean, this was store. him. I mean, this is independent. Yeah, they had to he had to max out all of his credit cards to make this movie. They slept right. on the floor like in his apartment. He like they couldn't film during the day. So that's why the shutters are closed, because they basically have to pretend that it's you know, or they had had to shoot at night, so they had to keep the shutters closed because it was supposed to be quote unquote during the daytime right, when right. when they're shooting the film. So yeah, I mean, this is as right. indie as indie gets, man. Absolutely, man, and it's really at the forefront of that. And you know, I like Kevin Smith. I just watched the uh, Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and you know, it's just disappointing to me because I feel like he can't. It's both a blessing and a curse because he can't get away from this. Does that make sense? Like, I'm part, listen. He could he could have stayed in the viewers universe forever, and I would have been fine with it. But I don't know what the fuck reboot was. Yeah. I'm still angry about it. I'm still so disappointed in that movie. I have no idea. Same here. I love that man. My oldest son is named after Brody from Mallrats. For fuck's sake! Like I nice. love Kevin Smith, and I love the viewers skew movies. But I don't know what on fucking earth he was doing with reboot. I have no <laughs> idea. But it was. I agree not, with you. It didn't speak to me as a fan whatsoever. Same here. It was just, uh, it was a disappointment. I don't know how else to phrase it. I mean, I giggled a couple of times, but generally speaking, I thought Ben Affleck was kind of funny in his scene. Um, but I mean, honestly, I just was like, what? I mean, I felt like it was like he was trying to force feed us the nostalgia for movies like Clerks and Mallrats. Yeah. Like, I, and, I, I, I honest work. to God, I'd love to hear him like people have told me oh, oh listen to him talk about it on his podcast or listen to this or listen to that but like even if i hear like even if i hear him like explain why the movie was made the way it was or why it refers back so much onto all of his other work instead of actually trying to do anything original like even still like it doesn't excuse like the really shoddy pacing in the film it doesn't excuse just right. the, i mean it, everybody's just phoning it in and i mean they're phoning it in so hard they're basically winking at the camera and you have jason <laughs> muse is trying to carry like the major dramatic arc of the film and it just doesn't it's work crazy man crazy but to get back to clerks though masterpiece five-star film for absolutely me. uh one of my all-time favorites like i said it's probably my number two or three comedy of all time and it's definitely kevin smith's best in my opinion i do love mall rats a lot too but i would have to give the edge to clerks there you know it was just a time in my life too man where i was literally high every day <laughs> and drinking every night and it was right and it, eating cereal for dinner i mean this is the movie that was like a soundtrack to my life yep. in 1994 95 you know so 
there's a lot of films that were super, super impressionable on me in that two to three year period of like what would be considered like my college years, the beginning of my college life. Mm-hmm. And this this is definitely one of those staples that will never go away. And I and the rewatchability on this is 100 percent, brother. Hey, like, Gerald. I could put I could put this on every fucking night. Hey, Gerald. Yeah, man. Try not to suck any dick on the way through the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, like I said, too good, man. there's it's a too reason good. why I got a bunch of clips from that movie on the soundboard. I do absolutely adore that movie. Hell yeah. Honorable mention for me, it's going to be coming up in my in my six through ten. But All yeah, right, cool, man. Well, that's my number two. And that we're up to our number ones. Here we go. What's your number one? Black Everybody movie? already knows what this is if they know me at all before I even say it. So I'm going to pause Can for I the guess? listener to just oh. say it in their head. Can I guess? Because I know you. Oh, you know, you have to know this. If well, what you know if I'm me. wrong, though? I, I, then then I hang up the call. And I never speak to you again. Do you want me to guess or not? guess? Yeah, guess. I want to. I want to know legitimately what you uh, think it is. Well, now I'm nervous, but I think it's Citizen Kane. It is Citizen Kane. One hundred fucking percent. This is an utter and complete masterwork from, of course, Orson <laughs> Welles. This was his first feature film. Uh, I mean, l- legitimately, so many things have been said about this film over the years. So I don't want to wax on poetic about it. It is truly, if you love cinema, it is truly a film for the person that loves cinema. So many different techniques, not only that he pioneered that had never been done before, but also other techniques that other films had pioneered that he congealed together into one thing. And the way that the script is written, and I mean, I even love the story of this film. Basically, he just destroys everything around him. Like literally he's he's longing so much for some kind of connection so much so that he destroys everything around him with his power and his money. I mean, I just I absolutely adore. It. I love him in the film. I love absolutely everything about this film. And I watch it probably at least two to three times a year. And I it does not get like when you when I think black and white film, like when when you first mentioned this list to me, that's the film that immediately pops into my head yeah. is Orson Welles, Citizen King. This film is a fucking masterpiece. Easy top 10, probably top five all time for me. There is only one man who can rid the politics of this state of the evil domination of boss Jim Gettys. I am speaking of Charles Foster Kane, the fighting liberal, the friend of the working man, the next governor of this state who entered upon this campaign with one purpose only, to point out and make public the dishonesty the downright villainy of boss Jim W. Geddes' political machine, now in complete control of the government of the state. I made no campaign promises, because until a few weeks ago, I had no hope of being elected. Yeah, no, I, knew, I knew Citizen Kane and Wonderful Life would be on your list. So since you hadn't said Citizen Kane yet, I was like, there's I think that's no, number one. There's no way yeah. that this wasn't going to be number one. As soon as people like see that I'm on this episode and we start, they already know. If they know me at all, they know that this is my number one. Yeah, I know you. Man. See, I do man. know you. See, I do know you. All right, man. Well, I think you know me. Do you want to guess my number one? If no. I give you a hint, I'll give you a hint. Oh, okay. I'll take a hint. It's in the horror genre, and it reinvented the horror genre. Reinvented the horror genre. See, I'm I suck at horror movies, though. All right, it is. Uh, well, you may just go. I'll go for it. Yeah, it's just go for from it. From 1968, The Night of the Living Dead is my. Oh yeah. See, I I didn't even think of I didn't even yeah. think of Romero when I was thinking of yeah. doing this list either. See, that's why. Well, you used to really be scared here, Johnny. 
You're still afraid. Stop it now. I mean it. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it. You're acting like a child. Look, they're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. He'll hear you. Here he comes now. I'm getting out of here. Johnny. So George Romero, man. Um, now I you're going to hang up. The, I'll, I'll be quiet. Now. No, no, no. You're good, man. You're good. <laughs> I, know you're, I, I know you're not a horror buff like you. I've, part, I've seen it once. I saw it uh, quite a few years ago now, but I've yeah. seen it once. It, I mean, I no check against it. I thought it was a great movie, but. Well, we were talking about how Ed Wood just really, you know, gathered people that he had met through the industry and actual friends and neighbors of his and stuff like that. And Kevin Smith did that also in Clerks. And that trend is continuing on my list with George Romero because. Night of the Living Dead in 1968, he just got a bunch of dudes that, you know, and, and women that he knew and that he worked with. And he's like, hey, guys, I'm making, you know, a movie about the undead. Do you want to be in it? <laughs> and I mean, it's like a bunch of his friends just wandering around, you know? Yeah. And, but it's so like, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I've talked about this on previous episodes before, too, actually with Justin, your buddy, because he came on and did zombie movies with me in October. And that we fucking it. guy. We discuss, yeah, I know. That guy. We discussed this movie in length uh, on that episode. But, you know, what we both were kind of saying was that, you know, George Romero is the founding father of the modern day zombie. Oh, easily. Easily. I mean, anything you see. I mean, the Walking Dead TV series. Uh, I know you're a big fan of Train to Busan. I mean, anything <sighs> you see that even remotely has zombie or an undead storyline is because of George. Romero. Yeah, it traces some kind of route back to Romero. Absolutely, yeah. man. And he just, you know, just said, I want to do this, I, you know, and I, I want to put this spin on something that really has never been told from this aspect before with the zombies kind of wandering around. Uh, you know, that what we think of them now traditionally, that didn't exist before this movie. So that's what I'm saying is that now it's this, the kind of uh, landscape for zombie movies is what we know it to be, but it's because of George Romero and, and 1968's Night of the Living Dead. So, and it's a very scary movie too, man, which, you know, we're talking about Nosferatu and, you know, Nosferatu for me would be more considered like kind of creepy and ominous. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Night of the Living Dead is, is scary. I mean, if you really like engulf yourself in that experience. And again, it's a movie from the 60s. They had to be careful what they did on, on camera because of, you know, limitations and things like that. But with what they had to work with and with the, if you put yourself in the element of the time, that's a scary movie, man. And, and like I said, it's really the foundation for what we know for the modern day zombie film, which now is a whole thing. I mean, there's probably hundreds of zombie movies out there. Uh, you know, I just saw One Cut of the Dead. I know you're a fan of that one. Oh, my. Uh, oh. Yeah, so good. Man. See that I mean, movie. If you haven't seen that movie. Oh, it's great. Holy it's great. shit. Is that movie good? It's great. I don't know if you saw my we we took a tour at my daughter's new college. She's going to film school here mm-hmm. locally, and they were showing it at her student theater. Oh. I was like, "Holy shit!" And I was trying to get her to go see it. She's like, "I could see it on Netflix or whatever." I'm like, are you fucking insane? Like, go see this at the student film festival. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. But any zombie movie, right? I mean, it's George Romero, man. I mean, he's he's the founding father. He's the pioneer. Uh, and being a horror guy, and just what this movie did for that genre, and it literally created a subgenre. <laughs> this movie, yeah, it literally created the zombie movie and the zombie kind of wave. And you know, now we have the Walking Dead TV series and everything else. So. 
George Romero, man, Night of the Living Dead had Ooh. to be my number. Had to be my number one. So that's where I'm at, brother. It all so makes sense now when I think about it. I know, right? And Justin will be proud of me too. So I got that going for me. What? Why don't you give us a wrap up, man? What was your top five again, Nick? My top five. So number five, Schindler's List. Number four, Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Number three, 12 Angry Men. Number two, Nosferatu. And number one, of course, Orson Welles, Citizen Kane. Nice, brother. And then my five were Creature from the Black Lagoon, The Lighthouse, Ed Wood, Clerks, and Night of the Living Dead. So, Nick, I'm realizing we had zero crossover. It's me and you, though. So I guess I mean, I didn't expect to, to be 100 percent honest. I was you know what? I was wondering, but I didn't know necessarily how you rank Nosferatu or if you, if it was something that re- that resonated with you like it resonates just, for me. Uh, so I thought maybe you might have snuck it in there, but it's, I didn't in, my think honorable, so. it's in my honorable mentions. Yeah. That's the only one of yours, though, that we cross over on. That's in my honorable. Mentions. There you go. Uh, give it. You want to give us your you want to round out your top 10 with your honorables? Real yeah, quick? yeah, you yeah. Can just, just list them real quick. Yeah, so my number six would another just absolute like forerunner of the film genre, another silent film, Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, if so you've weird, never man. ever seen this film, I mean, it is just beautiful. Again, German cinema. I believe this was one nineteen thirty one or something like that. Somewhere mm-hmm. around that area. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing film. Uh, number seven, a film not made by Orson Welles, but starring Orson Welles, along with Joe Cotton, uh, directed by Carol Reed. It's called The Third Man. Okay. And uh, there's a really, really famous scene where he talks about a cuckoo clock. Look that up on YouTube. All number right. eight was Clerks. You already mentioned that, so I won't really say much more about it. Number nine is Orson Welles again. His follow-up to Citizen Kane, the second film he ever made, was called The Magnificent Ambersons. And also an absolutely amazing film with one caveat. Uh, he This was during World War II that this film came out. And he was dispatched by Rockefeller down to Brazil on a Goodwill mission. And while he was gone, RKO basically took the film, threw away a whole bunch of it, and reshot the ending and cut the shit out of it and released it. And we will never, mm. ever see the true vision of of that movie that he made, which is it, it breaks oh, my heart. That was no, something that he battled against his entire career. And number 10 is also is also Orson Welles. <laughs> Can't get away from it, man. He was fucking absolute masterwork, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, in, in that chair. It is a uh, touch of evil. Also with uh, Charlton Heston. Oh. Oh, that's the, the opening shot, man, right? That opening, uh, that opening long shot, yes. four and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Absolutely yep. brilliant film uh, where he plays this kind of corrupt police captain or commissioner or whatever he is. And one of the favorite shout out to Fuzzy Dan, formerly of Who Spiked the Puns, now of Shaken Not Nerd. One of the absolute greatest podcasts I ever recorded was with him doing a mashup episode for Who Spiked the Puns of this movie and Resident Evil. And <laughs> and nice. We just kept talking about that chili because there's a, just a funny thing that he does about chili in the movie. He's like, I need to get a bowl of chili. <laughs> but I love that movie. That movie is an How, absolute uh, masterpiece. Yeah, it's a good one. How tempted were you to do all Orson Welles? See, and I'm- that was the thing. I held myself back <laughs> because I very, very easily could have thrown a couple of other Wells picks in here, too. But yeah, I decided... Yeah to stay away from it i i just had i honestly want to throw a couple more in here if you'll indulge me but yeah yeah let me give mine first and then i'll do let it, you throw a couple more so i'll just round out my top 10 real quick so my number six would have been hitchcock psycho there yeah uh we're talking about horror you know pioneers there you go i mean the shower scene alone is enough to just be embedded in everybody's mind forever number seven mel brooks is young frankenstein oh a, uh, frankenstein real, yeah <laughs> 
a real manic Gene Wilder <laughs> and just comedic. That movie is so gem. fucking good. It really is. Uh, number eight's a throwback for me. Actually, my number eight and my number nine are super throwbacks, but Casablanca, one yeah, of the all-time go. greats from 1942. You already mentioned Nosferatu would have been my number nine. And my number 10, uh, it was not on my list for a long time. I just re-watched it actually last week. It's on Netflix right now. And I wanted to put it on my list because I wanted to mention it, first of all, to see if you had seen it, but also to tell everyone to watch it because it's amazing. So let me set it up by telling you this, bro. It's a movie directed by Noah Baumbach who, of course, is famous right now for his Oscar-nominated marriage story, and he's a great filmmaker. So it was written by him, directed by him. It stars Greta Gerwig in the film, acting, and it stars a young Adam Driver in one of his first movie roles. But it's a film called Francis Ha. Hmm. H.A. is the name of it, and it's all filmed in black and white in New York City. Uh, It's an independent picture that he made on a very, very, very low budget uh, with basically friends of his like we were talking about before, which makes some of the best independent films, in my opinion. Yep. But it's a film from 2012 called Francis Ha, and it is on Netflix right now. I am in love with Greta Gerwig. So anytime I can see her do anything in front of or behind the camera, I'm going to do it. Such (laughs) a travesty that she got so little attention for Little Women over this most recent award season. That movie was so, so good. It really was, man. Just a masterwork from a direction standpoint. Uh, and I thought Lady Bird was too, man. I mean, yeah. I, she uh, believe me, believe me. Before this this decade that we're in right now is out, she's going to be on the stage accepting some statues. I so, hope so. Uh, she's a she's. I really one, hope one so. One of the best. One of the best, man. Go ahead. Did you say you had a couple more? I just had a couple more to throw out here because I, they also are just really, really great movies. Uh, one is John Ford's Stagecoach. Okay. Old school Western. Orson Welles watched it pretty much every day during the making of Citizen Kane. But uh, John Wayne, young John Wayne, it's from like 1933. All right. A streetcar named Desire, insanely young Marlon Brando. Come on. Stella. Yeah. Come on. It does yeah, not get better than that. Classic. classic. And then I'm going to round it out with apologies to Dan because I know he is not a Stanley Kubrick fan, but I am a huge fan of Dr. Strangelove or How yeah. I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Hilarious, hilarious <laughs> fucking movie. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome, man. So, uh, Nick, what we do at the end here, brother, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Now I need to go watch some of these old flicks that I haven't yeah, seen in too do. long. But uh, what we do to wrap out every episode is we head over to social media and we open up the old suggestion box. What's in can the box? See, What's in the box? What's in the I box? Get, uh, can you get Brad Pitt on the phone and have him do that sound drop for me? I, I don't know why I keep doing that myself every week. It's ridiculous. Has he not but, been calling you back? No, he won't. He's just shirtless on top Man. of my changing my cable. I don't you know. win an Oscar, and all of a sudden, you're a big shit. <laughs> He's too big for me. Jeez. Now. So, uh, I tell you what. Let's start over. I don't know if we're going to get through all the ones on Twitter, because we got a ton. So, let's start over on the Facebook page. Guys, if you have not joined up yet, that's where we interact with our fans the most. Check the show notes for the fan community over on Facebook. Patrick Sherwood, the aforementioned Patrick the Sherwood. The Hobster's best friend. Yeah, I love that dude too, man. Uh, but he's got a gif of Norman Bates from Psycho. Yeah. That's his, that's his contribution, and I agree with him. Tony Dobbish from Take Two says there's some obvious ones. Uh, here's some that we didn't mention, though. Um, and he, he, so he, uh, ironically, all the quote unquote obvious ones we've mentioned. So he's right. I guess, I guess we're obvious, Nick. But the ones that we have not mentioned yet, he said Sunset Boulevard, Night of the Hunter, It Happened One Night, M, and Some Like It Hot. 
how you feel about any of those whole bunch of movies that i have never seen fritz lang directed m i've always wanted to see it and i just never ever i've never gotten the chance to i really really got to catch up with that movie one of these days yeah me too man i get a lot of homework with a lot of these episodes Mm -hmm. Uh, aaron tucker says 12 angry men the original yeah mentioned of course chris yaney says dr strange love it's a wonderful life sin city how do you feel about sin city i love sin city yeah, that's a good one. Good stuff. Uh, it, it's a little outdated now when you watch it, but at the time, man, that was revolutionary, brother. Like, yeah. The way that the way that was filmed, kind of like a graphic novel come to life almost. Yeah. Uh, he's also got Failsafe, Nosferatu, and Angels with Dirty Faces. There you go. Uh, Pete from Podstalgic. I love Pete, uh, previous guest of the show. He says, The Artist. Were you a fan of The Artist when it came out? I did like back? The Artist, yeah. I did too. You know, my that's the first one my wife named. Uh, when I told her we were we were doing this, she said the artist, and I was like, ah, I don't. I mean, did you feel like the silent thing was kind of a gimmick, though? I, I don't know. Like, I feel like it was a really I mean, I well made. I, th- yeah. I feel like it was a really well made silent film. I don't think that w- it was doing it as a gimmick or anything. Okay, All right. I think. Well. I mean, when you think about like films, like I mean, Hollywood just loves films that, especially wax poetic about the Hollywood of old and like, oh yeah that like basically you know spit on their hand and rub the hollywood boner as it were <laughs> that's right yeah. and that's all they, that film was it was about you know basically yep. the end of the silent film era and things like that shot in black and white you know all silent except for the very very end of the film and there's like two lines of dialogue or something like that it's just you know i think it got more attention than it probably necessarily needed to is it necessarily the best picture that year no but yeah. i you know it's just it's a good movie it's not a bad movie by any means no i liked it i thought it was a good flick i just remember at the time i was kind of like i mean yeah it's fine yeah it's just the problem with those kind of films is is they always get overblown because hollywood loves films that love hollywood yeah they love movies about movies exactly exactly that's what it's about uh molly lewis said the last picture show Amanda from Amanda's Picture Show Go Go, I love her. She says, "Bringing up Baby Ida." I don't know if I know that one. The I don't third know. man, the third man. There you go. Allu- yeah, that's right. Yeah, Grand Illusion and the Philadelphia Story, which I know came up a few times on Twitter. Also, the Philadelphia Story still a huge, huge blind spot in my watch list. Also, Same Frank here. Capra. Oh yeah, you're yeah. right. I just I forgot about that. Tony Vanden Bush. I oh, wait, love is her. it? No, I might be wrong. Hang on, you might have to edit that. Hang on, Frank. Uh, is it no i don't think it is never mind ignore me ignore me <laughs> never uh tony vanden bush over on the facebook page says to kill a mockingbird and then she asked about wizard of oz and you and i were both like uh, i don't know yeah no i mean it's the i love it but 90 percent of the movie is in technicolor yeah yeah let's see david powell i like that dude a lot he's always commenting so he's got a couple in here that you're really gonna like he says dead man sin city 12 angry men yep citizen kane yep third man yep and touch of evil there you go he's he's all over you brother see so my friend dana who lives down in charlotte she's actually a friend of mine and she's a fan on the page she says to kill a mockingbird and then she added i just finished the lighthouse and that is definitely not one that i'm recommending (laughs) (laughs) so i guess she was not a fan of the lighthouse she's finding out that i am Uh, now tell me about this kind of thing that i got introduced to last night nick i didn't know this so our buddy our mutual friend dan brennick uh who now lives very close to me which makes me happy but he put on here logan and mad max fury road and it also got mentioned over on twitter and i thought somebody was trolling me on twitter and then I saw Dan say it on here, and I, I guess I guess they originally released these in black and white. I mean, is that do you know about that? Or they re-released. Idiot? I know they re-released Fury Road in like that Chrome version. It's called oh, okay. 
where it's you know they they redid it i honestly i mean fine if you want to sure. try to sneak it in that way but i don't technically count that so because these that film was definitely shot for color okay so those weren't shot as black and white no no definitely not like that whole like i mean if you think about the color like how beautifully drenched in color yeah, exactly. mad max Fury road like, is what? like yeah and it definitely like conveys i mean i haven't watched the chrome version to be fair but even still that film was definitely shot to be color it was shot and to then, be a color film and then the same thing with logan i was surprised to yeah find logan's the same low. way it was definitely shot to be a color film so it doesn't count so we'll just go through a few over here on Twitter, guys. We got a ton of shout outs for this for this topic over on Twitter. So I'll just hit on a few that we haven't mentioned yet. How about that? Real Feels Drew, our buddy, says Paper Moon. We haven't mentioned that one yet. We also haven't mentioned Seven Samurai, which I know is a popular one. There you go. And, and Grapes of Wrath. Uh, that's what Drew had to say. Ryan Terry on Twitter says Sunset Boulevard is probably his favorite grayscale film of all time. I don't know that I, I got to be honest with you. I don't know that I've, I probably have seen Sunset Boulevard, but it's probably been too long. Yeah, I know I haven't. Odd Dad Out says Young Frankenstein for sure. Frankenstein. He's <laughs> got a picture, picture of them on the stage together in the tuxedos. Gidget <laughs> uh, Von LaRue, recent guest on the show and probably future champion of the 2000s tournament when she defeats me. It, she's got the Elephant Man Raging Bull we didn't mention, Nick. I've never Martin seen it. Sc- oh, you haven't? No. You know what? It was in my top 10 for a while and it got bumped out at the last minute because I wanted to mention Francis Ha. It was my number 10 for a long time. But Raging Bull, obviously, Scorsese and De Niro. Mm -hmm. And what was great about that film, and I would say watch it, especially if you like Scorsese, is it was the first like of those like boxing movies that we're familiar with, Rocky and stuff like that, that it puts the camera in the ring. Because I don't know if you ever realize it, but a lot of those Creed and Rocky and all those, the cameras exterior is outside the ring it's never in the first person point of view and raging bull really did that which made for a much more brutal experience uh from the fighter's point of view and it was very revolutionary in that way Hmm. so it's a very you know kind of hard watch but it's obviously an important film i would say give raging bull a shot since you haven't seen it Hmm. uh let's see the huh podcast over on twitter says 12 angry men double indemnity 310 to yuma psycho and night of the hunter 310 to Yuma would probably make my best remakes list. The one I honestly thought about Double Road. Indemnity. Great movie. Yeah, that's a good one. And then uh, well, Raging Bull and HUD by Shane Beauregard. And then let's wrap up with Nick Podolchek over on Twitter because he's got a recent one that I liked a whole lot. But he says The Maltese Falcon, The Third Man, Dr. Strangelove. There you go. On the Watcherfront and a movie called Cold War. Did you ever see Cold War? I have not. A couple years ago. It's a good one. Really good. I want to say it was a French film. I think it's French. Forgive me if it's not. Uh, but it's a beautiful love story, man. A really, really good film called Cold War. Check that out. I want to say it came out in like 2017, maybe, I think. So that's it, guys. That's our top five black and white movies. Nick, you know I'm a big fan of yours. I'm hopefully going to be meeting you in person about a couple months after this episode no, airing, never. airing. Locking my doors. And, uh, I'll be sleeping in your in your bed there. And uh, I don't know. I might scoot over for you when it's time for you to get in. I don't nah. know. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> just push me over like my kids do in the middle of the night. You'll be fine. <laughs> Nick, uh, tell them about the live stream for The Cure, man. This is coming out in April and live streams in May. What do you want to tell the folks about it, man? Point them where you want to point them. Just bro. get over to livestreamforthecure.com. You can check out all the information about the event. This is our fourth year hosting. Last two years, we smashed our goal. So we're going for $10,000 this year for cancer research. All of it goes for cancer research, every single penny. And you get to come and you get to just watch a whole bunch of great content from a whole 
like a literal ton of great podcast partners, win prizes, and just have a great time for a great cause. It's just it's just fun. It's just fun and amazing, and I love doing it. So this year, yeah, $10,000. We're going for that five-digit figure. It's going to be tough. It's going to be It's going to be tough. We got this, man. We got this. I think last year, by the end of day two, we had smashed our goal, and we still yep. had another whole day on top of that. So I think we've got this year as well. So I absolutely I say, cannot I, wait. I, I want to say it's right after my guest spot. You beat your goal. <laughs> I don't think it's a coincidence, man. Because uh, is it because you're going to save up a whole bunch of money and make a donation <laughs> right. like right when that's you right. get on the air? That's right. No, somebody man, just donated get... like eight thousand dollars just right now <laughs> when I got on. What the hell? Yeah. Two P's no. biggest fan. <laughs> no, you know what? I I love you and Justin, man, and I love when you guys do that. It's such a cool thing. I've been a part of it the last two years, and uh, I hope to be even a bigger part of it this year. And it's great, man. I mean, I think it's obvious. Obviously, it's a great cause. I've been touched by that. My grandfather passed away because of cancer. And it's just it's great what you guys do, man. I yeah. mean, you guys put on a great show and I listen every week. But when the live stream rolls around, it's just more. You know, you got it's just a lot more than the Epic Film Guys. It's a lot more than podcasting. You guys are just doing a great thing, man. And I appreciate you including me in it when it comes around. And thanks for being on tonight, brother. Black and white films. We gotta, there it is. Gotta, yeah, like I said, hand. you'll have to forgive you have to forgive my list because if there's any blank spots in it, it's probably because I haven't seen the film. <laughs> yeah, same here. I mean, there, <laughs> I was joking about you on Twitter when people put up the gifts. I don't know what the movies are from, so I can't shout them out, you know, because I haven't seen them. But uh, it, it was a fun topic, man, and there's a lot of great, great films in that black and white era, and even modern black and white films are, are awesome, like we talked about at the opening of the show. Yeah. So Nick from Epic Film Guys has been my guest. Nick, thanks for coming back, brother. I'll have you back on soon, and we'll do I'll Save Top 5 Adam Sandler movies for you. Oh, man. And I'm not kidding about that. We you're really going to pick uncut gems. I'm just going to might fly to North Carolina. I might. I'm going to plant. I'm going to pick out my finest, finest, like three wood uh, and just put it on there. reel back and it. crack you straight in the penis with it. I loved it, man. The Safety brothers know how to do a flick. God fucking damn it. <laughs> Nick, I love you, brother. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you very much for having me, brother. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for listening. Two Peas is an independent podcast. We rely on donations from our executive producers in order to release new content weekly. We would like to give a special thanks to all of our current producers. Kathy Ross, Dan Brennick, Caleb Brownlee, Justin Esquivel, Paul Chomo, Carmen Signy, Daniel Henderson, Michelle Dodo, and Tony Dobish. If you would like to become an executive producer and help us continue to release great content, please visit Two Peas on a Pod at patreon.com or check out the show notes for this episode. Again, we sincerely thank you for listening.